Welcome to Monk's Tate. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the third and final installment of the Monk's Take podcast series with Rick Simons. In this podcast, we will discuss, among many other things, Coach Simons' legacy and his final years at St. Joseph's College. So your, your program, I, I, I believe, um, and many do, that you, know, you and the men's basketball program put this college on the map. Uh, we were getting national attention, certainly regional attention on a regular basis. But at the same time, during your time as an athletic director, uh, we had some pretty outstanding growth with new programs, uh, the soccer programs, field hockey. Of course, cross country was another program here that got some national recognition and the women's basketball team. But but talk about your role as an athletic director and uh, you know the, the things you saw, how things grew here during your time. Well, let, let me say this to you. And, and I'm, again, I told you I was going to be very truthful. I think if, if I was going to give myself credit, uh, I would say that I think I've hired some outstanding coaches while I was here. If I was going to give myself a negative, I think that I did not become as involved personally with every athlete on the other teams as I could and should have. I think it's some it's it's not easy being totally immersed in one sport as a coach and then also being an athletic director and dealing with all of the others. And I think if I had it to do over again, I would have done a better job in attending more contests of all of the other sports. So I, I wanted to put that out there. But in terms of development, I, you know, I'll give you a, a kind of a neat story in that when I came to St. Joe's and, and with Mike McDevitt, we'd already talked about, there was also a, a runner by the name of John Howe that came from Ellsworth, where I was, and ran cross country. And the, I hired a cross country coach by the name of Brian Ziggy Gillespie, who I played in college with and played uh, baseball with in the Twilight League and all. And, and it was a friend of mine. And he was a, a terrific runner and also coach of runners well john howe we didn't have a cross-country program but he ran and won the nai new england as a freshman regional tournament now in order to get him there i remember the day that we went into the cafeteria at lunch and we took a collection to get enough money so we could send him i think it was to wisconsin and, and which, so the kids all wanted to help their own and we, we got enough money because it wasn't in the budget. We didn't even have a program. So, but he ran out there. What made this incredible was the next year I hired Brian Gillespie and John Howe was the sixth best runner on our team. <laughs> now he was the defending New England champion as a freshman and he was the sixth best runner on our team as a sophomore. So you can see how that program, you know, went. And, uh, and again, Ziggy Gillespie deserves incredible, you know, accolades for, for what he did for that program. And, the, and then, you know, with, with, there's, you know, the other part of this equation is assistant coaches never get enough credit. But, but you know, Will Sanborn, I was the assistant baseball coach for, for several years under Jim Grafham. 
And one year when Kevin Rand was the head coach, he was, I remember he came into my office one day, I'd hired him and he said, I, I have a real problem. Uh, I said, what is it? He said, well, I've been offered a job as a trainer for the Detroit Tigers. And I said, are you, that's a problem. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. I, you know, I, I said, you're out the door. He said, well, no, but I'm under contract. I, I said, Kevin, this is a fabulous opportunity. He is today the head trainer for the Detroit Tigers. And then many years later, and back then, of course, he started at double A or triple A, wherever. But I saw so I was the head baseball coach that year. And that was, you know, again, I said, okay, we need to later on coaching with Jim Graffham. And I said, Will Sanborn, we, you know, we, we recognize his commitment to the program. And I jokingly say this, but I'm being, again, sincere. He, he was far from the most talented player in our program. But boy, he lived the game. You know, you can like the game, love the game, or live the game. And he lived it. And I think he's proven his worth many times over as, as the coach there. So, so that program really, you know, grew. And, and as you mentioned, the soccer programs. And, and I mean, it, it, this, the, the, the college has done such a small school. And now the facilities are pretty good, to be honest. But they weren't for, for many years. Um, and I know playing baseball, we played all over the place. And softball, the same thing. And, you know, and here's one more bit of irony. And that is that I, the one year I was the head softball coach, you know, when Dick Bailey was unable. And, and so I, I, I took that program. He left the best talent that could imaginable. Uh, and we not only won the conference, we won the New Englands. We won the Northeast Regionals, and just a fabulous team. Uh, terrific pitching, uh, went all the way to the, uh, the to the national tournament. So, there's uh, it's you know yes, been terrific uh, opportunities to see these many programs grow. It it is an amazing thing, and and you know having not went to school here, and and you know having been here for uh, fifteen plus years, seeing how a small school in New England can have such success, you know, national rankings and all those kinds of things. It's, it's really eye-opening, but it's a credit to the coaches and the college backing our programs and, you know, the new turf fields, uh, I guess five years old now is, is, you know, is gorgeous baseball, softball complex, you know, the pool, the track facility, all of those things. Um, it, it's, it's really fun to be a part of that personally, but, and you know, I think, you you gave me a lot of credit by saying we you know put this the school on the map etc cetera, etc cetera. but i'll tell you what athletics and yes there's probably faculty that will listen to this and and <laughs> and be you know aghast but I, athletics put that school on the map and and yes basketball might have been in the forefront but all of the other sports you know it, it's because people want to be associated with winners and the statistics are so you know out there when you win a, a national championship in football or or any other sport the next year the the number of students that apply it's it goes through the roof it, it's people want to be associated with winning programs and and i think it 
it stands to reason that's one of the reasons why the, the college is, has done so well. No, that's a great point. And, you know, I think your success with the men's basketball program showed others that they could do it as well with their programs. And, you know, rising tide, you know, raises all ships kind of deal. Um, the one thing I would say, Corey, if I may interject, my, my, my ultimate vision, and I, I truly believe this was in the best interest of the college. And Dick Bailey uh, and I spoke about it many times. And that is that you're known by the company you keep. And therefore, because of the Catholicity, because of the, uh, the academics, because of our athletic success, I really truly believe that St. Joseph's College was destined to become a division two school. I think that we would have been the only division two school in Maine. Uh, I think we would very much like to be associated with all of all of that, the Northeast 10, you know, the Merrimack and Stonehill and St. Anselm and, and all of those schools that have like, uh, you know, uh, philosophies. Uh, and and I'm, I'm quite frankly, I'm disappointed because I think had that occurred, then we would have got the best, we would have attracted the best athletes in the state of Maine every year with the exception of those that may go to UMO Division One. Where, where do you think that, without getting into too much detail, uh, I think I know where it would go, but where, where do you think that plan kind of took a left rather than a right? Well, I, I have to be careful uh, because I don't, I, you know, I certainly don't want to call anybody out. Um, I just think that, you know, the sisters have done a fabulous job, and, 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 but I think by their very nature, they tend to be conservative. And I think that had Dick Bailey stayed there, I, I think that, I mean, much like he drove the athletic facilities, the baseball, softball complex, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think you need somebody willing to, to kind of roll up your sleeves, go out on a limb. And, and, and I, but I just think ultimately that's where we were headed. And I think, and again, maybe sour grapes or whatever. I just think that's, where the college should have been or should be well I, you know i had to throw a hard question at you i couldn't ask you all softballs during this podcast so <laughs> there, there's my one tough question um so you mentioned the names <clears throat> so many great staff members uh, and hall of fame coaches uh there was an era there where you were surrounded by the likes of dick bailey jim Graham, mike mcdevitt uh you know will sanborn uh, Ziggy Gillespie I mean go on and on and on that that just must have been a, a a really fun time to be coaching here at St. Joe's well I think if you look at those people I mean incredible incredibly passionate people you know coaching you don't at, at the level that we're coaching you never get paid uh what you feel it that you deserve, but you know what? You don't care. You don't care because while we all would like to make more money, it's like, no, I, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I want to do it the right way. And I want to, and, and so therefore the, 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 the amount of hours that are put into our programs and uh, you know, plus, plus, and I, I say this, 
you're talking about some very quality people, uh, you know, just incredible integrity and, and great role models. And I mean, Mike McDevitt deserves every bit of credit that he's, that he's given, been given. And, and, and as I say, and, and I, I joke with Will, uh, you know, boy, oh boy, you, you want something done, you roll up your sleeves and, and just, you know, stay And his dad before him. I, I have the utmost respect. Uh, for what he did on campus. It, it just, it was brought up the right way and he only knew one way to do it and that's the right way. And, and, when, when, and you, when you recognize that as a, as a coach, an athletic director or as a player, I mean, it, it's kind of like if I'm playing baseball for St. Joe's, I, I'm going to say, hey, I see how hard Will's working. I'm going to work as hard for him and with you. And I think that that's across the board. And, you know, Rob Santacola is, it's a difficult time right now. It's tough recruiting right now. And uh, it, it's, you know, I say it's, it's easier in the respect that you can go to an AAU game, see 150 kids, as opposed to go to one game. But, but you know, the competition, there's so many more schools than when I first started out. And, and, and the facilities are better at other places. And the competition is better. It, it, it's, it's just different. Yeah, and, and you're saying, like you say, you, you go to an AAU, tour, AAU tournament and you see all those kids, but you also look around and you see a uh, hundred different polos of, of coaches from those institutions going after yes. the group. And I remember my time as an assistant coach being at, uh, assistant baseball coach here and, and being at showcases and thinking there's nobody here that can play for us. But I look to my left and I see, you know, Quinnipiac and, you know, other D1 schools and I'm thinking, what are they doing here? <laughs> you know, but they, everybody's scouring the same group of talent. Totally, totally agree. And, and, you know, that's, you know, the, you hit it on the head when you said this, you look around now and there, there'll be dozens of coaches at any, any of these. And it's, and, and quite frankly, St. Joe's as it's become more expensive, it's, it's a, it's a very competitive market. Yeah. And, and college enrollments being what they are and the trends, if you follow any of that, uh, you know, schools are starting to put more emphasis on recruiting and athletics uh, enrollment through athletics. And you see new schools every year out recruiting that you didn't in years past. So it's just getting, you're right. It's a very difficult time. Um, but we have, we have our tradition and history to lean back on. And, and I know Rob's done a great job. He's had some terrific talent. It, it's been an interesting time to be in this conference with, uh, University of St. Joseph and Jim Calhoun coming through. Uh, yep. it's, been, it's been a been a bit of a shift um, that wasn't there before. You know, he'll he'll do he'll do fine, and he, he recruits really hard. And, and uh, I know that program will always remain close to your heart. Totally, totally. And I think with the, now today in the paper, they're saying that they're going to approve total transfer uh, rather than go into a portal. Every student will be allowed to transfer. I, you know. I just think that's a horrendous mistake. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just think it's, it's going to lead to, as it is now, utter chaos. You, you develop a good player and he's gone. It, it, I, I think it's, like I said, it's very different time, very difficult. Yeah, it's going to be the Wild West. And, and, and especially, you know, during COVID times and everybody getting uh, additional years of eligibility and, and just, you know, it, it's going to be a very strange period in college athletics for sure. But so let, let's get back to our, our timeline here. And we're, we're, we're getting through this pretty good, I think. Uh, your your three-hour prediction is going to be about right. 
<laughs> so you've you coached so many great players I, I counted up i believe 17 guys that uh were later inducted into our hall of fame and that doesn't include you or that 86 87 team so just talk about that those players and and you know some of those guys were, were hard workers and, and did it through uh sheer uh improvement through hard work other guys were incredibly talented and and, and came here and dominated uh, talk about that group i mean mark jones is was supposed to go into the hall of fame last year you already mentioned him uh we'll we'll get him in this fall assuming everything goes well with this uh covid world we live in but maybe start with him and, and talk about some of the others well, I mean, Mark was was not in the same uh, category as Jeff Creech, but Mark was a valedictorian, went to Bridgeton Academy. I knew him from back home because he grew up and went to the same high school that I did. And and just, again, rock solid uh, individual, to, to very, very quality player and, and an even better person. But, but some of the players that you're referring to, uh, I mean, Kyle Howell was could have played at much higher levels. And one of the things I, I remember when I recruited, see what I ultimately determined was this, I'm going to go after division two players and I'm not going to get most of them, but you don't have to get many of them. If you can get one a year or two a year, I mean, your division three program is going to be pretty doggone good. And so I remember Kyle came from a kind of a tough background, uh, no dad in his, in his life. And I went and visited him at a mobile home down in Exeter, New Hampshire, and he was laying down on the sofa when when I went to to have a visit. And I, you know, my thing was, no, no, you sit, you know, you sit up, you look me in the eye, you shake my hand. But I didn't want to, you know, wreck this. So I just kind of put up with him lying down talking to me. He ultimately, he was going to go to prep school. If, If people had realized that he was willing to, to, consider other options because a lot of division two is backed off because he told people he was going to prep school and when we got Kyle um, I mean it didn't take long to figure out what a what an incredible talent he was he just needed to mature a little bit and uh, as a freshman when I would yell at him he, he had a tendency to have an excuse or an answer but that lasted about one semester and I can remember after that it was like you know, yes, sir, coach, you, you got it. I'll do it. And, and he became, I mean, he's a first team all American. And, and, and as I said, David Chadbourne, um, I've coached a lot of talented players. Never have I coached anyone as mentally tough as David. You find a lot of physically tough kids, but not a lot of mentally tough ones. He, he was, he still is in, in a category by himself. And, 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 you know, John Wassenberg could have absolutely played I mean, he played nine years professionally. So, I, I mean, he, you know, when he came, it, it made a huge difference in our program. And Steve Shula played professionally at five foot eight, just, you know, quicker than quick. There's so many good players. Paul Searles, a young man from Chesterville, Maine, Farmington, was, had, a, you know, had tough accidents in, in terms of injuries with his knees but was a superb player. Uh, so we're talking, I mean, every one of those players today is a scholarship player and, and it, it's a very different time. Uh, I know we've said that, Mike and I have said that with a lot of the women that came to St. Joe's. Today, they all would have got scholarships. There's, there's eight or 10 women 
that came to St. Joseph today would would be Division two plays. There's no question about that. But I but you're right. And and you know you know another thing that I'm I'm very proud of. So many of our players have gone on to be very good coaches. And uh, I mean Charlie Marquardt, who's at Malloy College on Long Island. I mean what a what a terrific. He's had three players play professionally in the last three years. And I mean, from a division two school, just, just again, and, and Chad born at, at Franklin Pierce and there's many, many others. And I think that speaks well too. that, you know, you're getting kids that, that really do love the game. So you, you've hit it on the head that we've had some exceptional players and, and that's what makes, Hey, exceptional players make good coaches. We, we all get that. Well, it must've been really cool for you to see kind of a, a circle uh, of uh, Mike McDevitt's son playing for David Chadbourne at Franklin Pierce. I mean, it's just it, your your coaching tree must be. I mean, I don't even know if you could get it on paper. Well, it you know, I I I tell players this. In fact, I told my AAU team this on Monday night. I coach every player as if they're going to go on and become a coach, knowing full well that most won't. But you know, they maybe go on to become lawyers and doctors and whatever, but I want them to understand and think the game because there's so much more than just running up and down. And, and, and therefore, and again, a lot of it comes back to me being anal uh, about little things. Um, and, and yeah, I'm thrilled to see some of these coaches that have gone on and, 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 you know, it's like a, like a grandfather. I mean, you're proud of your kids. You're proud of your grandkids. So, and Mike, you mentioned his son, and, or in this case now, sons that have both been highly successful. It, yeah, it's, a, it, it's a, a very good feeling. And we are, uh, as an aside, we're, we're going to create a coaching tree for the college. Um, it's something I've actually borrowed from uh, UMaine Farmington's website, and they have a pretty extensive list of coaches that uh, played at UMF and, and I'm sure that ours could rival theirs for sure. And we, we may reach out to you coach to, to get some, to get some help and some feedback on that. So sure. Keep an eye on your email. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you'd have a hard time picking a starting five from, from your, all of your teams, or do you, do you think you could do that without making a lot of people angry? Well, I, I get asked that all the time, to be very honest. I get asked that all the time. And who's the, not so much pick the starting five. Who's your best player? And you know what? I can't, I, I can't do that because I, I think I'd have more success picking the starting five uh, because probably, therefore, I'd have Chad Bowen at the point guard and Jeff Creech at the two. And then I'd have Wassenberg at the three and Kyle Howell at the four. And, 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 the, and you know, Tom Ullman's a very good center. Paul Searles was terrific, except for, for his, like I said, he had injuries with his knees. Um, but I mean, they're, they're all highly skilled. And, and then, like you mentioned, I mean, Charlie Warren. And, and I mean, there's so many good players. Um, so, but who's the best? I, no, I couldn't do that because they're just different players, different roles. Uh, I, I would say that Jeff Creech was the one player because he came first that helped us land a lot of the other great players but you know and i mentioned david chadbourne this is this kind of fits david chadbourne won a state championship from wells high school as a junior he came to me in september of his senior year 
sat on the sofa and said, I'm coming to St. Joe's. And now players back then didn't make up their mind in September. You know, I know today kids are being asked to commit much earlier. It's a different, a whole different concept. Back then, most of the players wouldn't make up their mind till April, May, June. But, but he said, no, no, I'm coming. Go get other players to play with me. And I, I remember that always, that conversation, because, boy, that's exactly what a coach wants to hear. Yeah. That I, I'm coming. Don't worry about me. Now get me some players to play, you know, with me. So, and he, and incidentally, as a senior, he also went on to win another state championship. So very, you know, he was, he was skilled from jump street. Just an outstanding competitor and also a baseball player here, just to someone who would drive you into the ground. Yep. <laughs> so, and also, you know, uh, in your later years, someone like a CJ Bose, who, who was a, a talented player and scored a lot of points. So speaking of those later years, uh, the transition to the NCAA from the NAIA, can you talk yep. about that, that period a little bit? Very difficult uh, time. Um, you know, I spent hundreds of hours, and not, that's not an exaggeration, as athletic director, trying to figure out what was our best avenue in terms of conference adjustment, you know, at the, at the end of it, the NAIA was very much looked down upon. Early on, we were all in the NAIA. Mm. You know, UMaine Farmington, USM, everybody was in the NAIA back then. Uh, but at the end of it, most, most others had branched off and gone into the NCAA. So the NAIA was then kind of looked down upon. Uh, so we all recognized the fact that we had to make that transition. Uh, and of course, for a while, we were a dual member, uh, of, you know, of NEI and, and whatever. It, it, it was, um, and the toughest thing, and, and, and you know what, Gory, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that I, I probably have never said, but I think I've coached a lot of really good games. I think one of the poorest games I ever coached was my last game at St. Joe's. And, and the reason is because I wanted to win so very badly and I was so intense and it meant so much because I knew where I was headed in terms of getting done that we were playing, we'd made as an independent, we made the NCAA tournament and we're playing against Salem State and CJ Vos and, and Belial and some of those terrific players, uh, we had a lead. And I think that, you know, if I could go back and just relax, fellas, we're fine. Uh, I, you know, I, I think I wanted to win that game so badly that I did a poor job coaching it. And, and I just think that, you know, as they say, sometimes as a coach, you just got to, it's time to say, hey, fellas, we're in good shape. We're, you know, the fact that our 16 point lead was now four called for me to be, you know, to build confidence within them. And I think I, I you know, I probably put more pressure on them because I wanted, I want, I didn't want that to be my last game with a loss. So yeah. I, anyway, I think that the NCAA moving in that direction has been, you know, terrific. It was not easy. And I know there's been a lot of, I mean, we went through so many meetings as to what conference do you want to be in and, and who will accept you and who do you want to be associated with? And it, it's, it's a struggle. 
And uh, I, I know it's a struggle for St. Joe's now. You know, when I was at Davidson, we were in the Southern Conference. And Davidson was unlike anybody in the Southern Conference because it's highly academic. They don't accept transfers. They don't accept JUCOs. They don't accept. So whereas all the other schools, they're all starting five with JUCOs. So the point being that if you're not like some of the others, it makes it for a very tough marriage, so to speak. And I think St. Joe's is and has been in, in a difficult position. Agreed, agreed. So why, just uh, another aside here, uh, you know, why do you think so many schools went NCAA and left the NAIA? I, I think prestige. I, I think people don't know, they, they, what does NAIA stand for? And, and if you were not walked up and down the street, nobody could tell you that. No. Um, and, and as a result, and, and you know, there was a sense, we, even those of us in the NAIA weren't sure what some of the rules were. And wait a minute, you can have scholarships? How many scholarships can you have? You can't, and I know one of the schools we competed against had players with scholarships in other sports than what they were. In other words, it, it, was, it was a little bit, you used the term Wild West. It, it was a little like that. And I think that uh, a lot of times we would go to schedule and, and I'd call up somebody and they'd say, are you still in the NAIA? Uh, uh, yes, we're a dual member. Well, no, thank you. Oh. Because there was that built-in stigma of then you, A, must be given scholarships, even though we weren't. And B, you're probably doing things differently than what, you know, we are. Because as I, as I told you, way back when we were straight NAI, I mean, we could play as many games as we wanted. We could play practice when we wanted. There was, it was much more lenient. And I think that that's what a lot of ADs later on assumed was still happening, even though it wasn't. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, harking back to baseball days when, when the, the program here would host some incredible tournaments on weekends in the fall and, and how that was just a great experience for the athletes. But um, yeah, that went by the wayside when the NEIA was left behind. So the NCAA, uh, that, that first year as an NCAA member and an independent, getting an at-large berth, I mean, your record was outstanding. Um, but as an independent, uh, your scheduling became kind of a, you know, you have to be strategic about that. And, you know, were you, were you expecting to get in as an at-large at that point? Or was that, because that was the first time that, that we'd gotten in, you know, were you expecting that or was that a surprise? No, I, I was not expecting it um, because quite frankly, it's political. And I assumed that they wouldn't want to take us. I mean, to get an independent, I mean, excuse me, an at-large birth. Uh, as an independent is, is almost impossible. Uh, I knew we were going to be very talented that year, um, but it, it, no, I, I, I think the, the fact we get the bid, and I think that goes back to what I was saying about my frustration, because, oh, it was such a, a positive experience to be selected. Hey, it, it's, it, it's been difficult uh, in terms of, of making the transition uh, but now we'll see what happens down the road for the school, but it, it's just been a real positive, I think. Now, uh, after SJC, we'll, we'll just, we'll kind of leave all that, that period and in, in the, in the rear view, uh, we'll, we'll move forward. 
um, coaching basketball has never left your, you know, your side. You, you've constantly coached and been involved in coaching. And, and uh, so right after you, you leave St. Joe's, you, is it correct that, you know, Bonnie Eagle is your next stop? Correct. Yeah. And I, um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I decided that I was going to get through at St. Joe's, uh, and, and was, uh, not sure how aware I, what I wanted to do next, but my son was, you know, coming of high school age. And so therefore it was important, uh, that I be with him it, to me, uh, and, and I think to him. And, uh, so I, I went to Bonnie Eagle and, uh, coached coached him there and had some success it's it's very different uh because as i said you inherit whatever comes along and it, it was there was some real positive experiences uh, but it's just very different coaching at the high school level and than it is at the college level and and i found that i mean one i felt if i worked harder than you at the college level i was ultimately going to beat you at the high school level, you know, not the case. I, I remember Bob Brown was at Chevrolet and, and I told him once, I said, you know, I hope to get the best kid from Limington on my Bonnie Eagle team and you've got the best kid from Australia. So I said, I, I, it's not exactly, you know, apples to apples, but, uh, but, but hey, you know what? Coaching is coaching and you got to love it. And you, you also had the opportunity to coach uh, professionally, correct? Yes. And what, what, what is that? Uh, can you, I, I, I did some searching around. I wasn't able to find a lot. So I'm going to leave it up to you as an open-ended question. You know, what, what, uh, what teams were you, what, you know, did you coach and, and what was that experience like? You know, I, it's funny because Jim Graffham, who I mentioned earlier is about to embark upon coaching a professional team uh, called the mid coast Sternman out of Rockland. Uh, this will, that will be the first professional team ever in Maine that I haven't been affiliated with uh, because I was offered the first job of the Lumberjacks. Uh, I mentioned the CBA. Uh, later on, I, I coached uh, two different teams in the um, what's called the USBL, the United States Basketball League. Um, and I, would, I did that while I was coaching and athletic director at uh, St. Joe's. Uh, and what made that very tough was that I didn't want to in any way take away from St. Joe's. So, for example, uh, it was in the spring. It was a lead, It was after our basketball season was over um, and it would run from April to June. And so, for example, I would coach. Uh, we'd have a game at 730 in the after, in the evening down Long Island um, and we'd get done at 930 or 10. And then I'd drive the van back and be home by four, 4.30. And I was at work every morning at eight o'clock at St. Joe's because I didn't want anybody to say, yeah, wait a minute, you're, you're you know, cutting short or you're, you're short shrifting the monks here. And I wouldn't do that. So I was putting in incredible hours uh, there. Uh, did that for two years. One year I was an assistant um, to the, the Mountain Cats, which was out of Portland. Uh, a man by the name of Kevin Mackey. I was the assistant there. And then the next year it became the Portland Wave. Uh, and I became the head coach and general manager of that professional team. We practiced, both teams practiced in the Chamber of Horrors, believe it or not. 
um, because we had access to it. And one of the players was Manute Bowl at 7'6", uh, <laughs> which made for some good photo ops um, because he would just reach up and grab the rim. Um, and, you know, probably, the, you know, sadly he died at a very early age, but certainly the, the greatest player to ever play in the Chamber of Horrors. Um, and the, and the, probably the wealthiest. And, uh, you know, he, he made a lot of money in the NBA. So, uh, but that was, you know, that was a unique experience. And of course, now I do the Red Claws, I, the radio and television for the Red Claws professional team. Um, and that's been, I've done that all 11 years that the Red Claws have been in existence uh, and had a lot of fun and met a lot of wonderful coaches and people and, and players. Uh, in, in that realm as well. So it, it's been, it's been real valuable, a real positive. Um, and, and it, you've, you said it, I mean, my whole life, it seems like has been in a gym and, and I love it. So, you know, don't throw me in the briar patch, just, you know, as they once <laughs> said. So now you, after, after several years or a few years away, you returned here uh, when Stevie was, was playing and, and you served as an assistant coach. Uh, what was that like for you and, and the ability to coach Steve at, a, at the college level? And, and uh, that must have been an enjoyable time for you. Yeah, it was. It was. But I'm going to say it was also it was frustrating. It was enjoyable uh, in that I get to see him every day and go through practice. And I think the world of Rob Santacola. Uh, and, and so therefore was, you know, again, uh, involved in games. Uh, I, I was a little, I guess, uh, when I say frustrated, assistant coaches make suggestions, head coaches make decisions, and that's the way it ought to be. And, uh, but I guess I wasn't probably used to not making the decision. So I, I, at times I would say, oh, I know what I want to do. And, and Rob was fabulous and, and oftentimes would do what I suggested. But I just my personality is such I'm not I'm not sure it, it while at the at the at Davidson it was very different so I had you know what I mean I understood that and then when Stephen was a senior I, you know I knew he was going to be very successful and I I stepped away because I said you know if if I'm there and he has a really good year I think people might think well, yeah, they're running plays for him or everything's designed for him or, you know, yeah, it's his, his dad. And I didn't want any of that for him. So I said to myself, I never talked about it with Steven. I just felt like I need you to be your own man. And you know what I mean? Working with the team and with Rob. And, and so that's, that was ultimate. Now I went to every game, but I, I just purposely didn't want to be, is misconstrued to have any any part of his success uh makes that's that's uh you know a well thought decision for sure and uh you know steve was a great player here he was a lot of fun to watch and i'll never forget that GNAC tournament game against lasalle his senior year where he basically uh led us to an overtime win he was unstoppable in that game so he, he was a lot of fun to watch just a great a great young man you must be awfully proud of well, thank you. Yeah. And he, like I said, he, you know, what, what's nice is that if you look at his stats, his freshman year, and I don't have it memorized, but I mean, he played like 27 minutes as a freshman and, and you know what, there's nothing wrong with that. 
pay you pay your dues. You wait your turn. They were terrific players in front of him. And he got what he deserved in the sense that, you know what I mean? Your time will come. Just keep working and lifting and whatever. And and so, yes, it's nice to see the the, the metamorphosis, the, the, you know, the uh, ability to keep keep going, even when when a lot of kids might have said, this isn't what I signed up for. Yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, 24 points as a freshman. I think I think he had the fewest points as a freshman uh, of anyone that ever joined the thousand point club. Um, or he's on a short list for sure. So there you go. Yeah, it definitely had a great senior year. But so now you 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 mentioned um, you know being involved with all these pro teams in Maine and, and the Jim Graham led uh, team that's coming up. Uh, you're not going to be part of uh, the Red Claws. Uh, in your experience as a, a color man on those broadcasts, uh, talk about that and how that came to be. And I, I always made sure to listen to games when I heard they were on and I heard your voice. Uh, it was just a, just a cool thing to, to hear. But talk about that some. Well, what, what happened um, was a, a reporter one time was talking with uh, why can't, Jennings, uh, John Jennings. And was, John was kind of inquiring, okay, what do you think? Who are we going to do? How are we going to hire for this and this? And um, I, I, it was fortunate that my name came up and the idea of, uh, hey, he's got a lot of stories. He's got a lot of history. He's, he's affiliated you know, with a lot of people in Maine. So as a result, I, I was playing golf actually out in uh, Point Sebago and on the first tee and I, John Jennings called me and said, hey, you, do you have any interest in talking about basketball? And long story, uh, you know, went interviewed, said, absolutely, I would love it. 11 years later, I, I've, you know, done every game and, and had a, a wonderful time. One of the things that I really enjoy and that is I go and sit with the coaches, opposing coaches as well, an hour and a half or so before the game, because they'll be sitting in the chair. And, and what happens is originally when you first get to, you know, don't know you, they don't want to say, wait a minute, you're on the radio, you're going to say something negative or whatever. Over the years, they got to trust me and recognize that, no, no, no. First of all, if you tell me I don't want that on air, then I'm not going to put it on air. And secondly, that if they understand that I know a little bit about the game, then they can, you know, they let down their, their guard a little bit. So it, it's kind of like Nick Nurse, who, who last year, coach of the year, and won, you know, won with Toronto, the Raptors. I mean, he and I sat and talked, and he was, he was in the G League for, for several years. So we had many, many, many long talks. Um, and he recognized that I don't have to worry about Rick, you know, ratting me out on the air or, or whatever. And like he might, I might say, hey, what's going on with Joe Smith? And he'd say, well, I'll, I'll tell you what the story is, but I don't want it on the air because, you know, and, and he, he explained that. So uh, I, I think that meant, means a lot to me that they understand, if, especially if they've been in the league, that they can trust me. Um, and, and, and I, plus I learned so much more about the league and the makings of the league and, and the trades and where all of the things that go into the NBA uh, at, at a minor league level. Because yeah, you had an opportunity, like you're saying, you, you worked with and, and uh, you know, spoke with a, a lot of people that are now, you know, playing in the, in the NBA or coaching. 
Um, that must have been an outstanding experience just to be involved with the Celtics organization and, and you know, locally with the Red Claws. Yeah, and it's like, like you know, obviously a fun photo of me with Taco Fall because he's so much taller than I am. Um, but there's a case, again, of a guy, what, what a terrific individual, so bright, so engaging. So, I, I mean, so I'm, when I speak with him, you know, it's, it's not like, I'll give you an example. When I coached briefly with uh, Manute Bowl, he called himself the freak of the week. That was his term. We obviously never did that. Um, but I mean, anybody that tall has to go through incredible challenges. And Taco does as well. But, you know, when, in my conversations with him, it's about, you know, the Muslim religion or about, about something totally uh, away from just him being tall. Mm. That's really cool. And, you know, everybody knows that name and obviously a, a profile guy to come through Portland. Uh, that, that's going to be neat to follow his career too, as, as we move forward. Um, so talk about your AAU program, the Maine Renegades and, and what that's all about, how that came to be. And it's, it's one of the, if not the largest AAU program in the state. No, it, at one point it was, but it isn't now. Um, and I don't, but really that's never been my goal uh, to be the largest. There's, there's many programs. In fact, there's a proliferation of them and many good ones too, might I add. Um, what happened was a, a gentleman who sadly passed uh, by the name of Bill Bailey from Wyndham asked me one time if I could get, they were trying to send a group of girls to Japan because the city of Shinagawa, Japan, right outside of Tokyo, is the sister city to Portland. So it's kind of like a cultural exchange. And there were a couple of players short. He said, could you get a couple of girls that would be willing to pay 2300 bucks for go over there for eight or nine days um, and, and have some fun? And I said, sure, Bill. So he says, I'll call you back in three or four hours. So I made some calls. So I call him back. And then he says, oh, by the way, I get him a couple of girls. And he says, by the way, you're coaching it. I go, what are you talking about? I'm coaching it. Uh, that was never even brought up. Um, and the truth is I never cared for AAU basketball because I thought that there were some people in it that were unsavory and or there were parents that were well-intentioned, really didn't know anything about the game. So therefore I'd avoided it. Well, I took those 10 girls over there for 89 days and we had a wonderful time. And the reason I went was because I'd never been, I've been all over the world, but I'd never been to Japan. So I said, you know what? That'd be a, a terrific opportunity, learning experience. Well, when I came back, um, I was asked if I would continue to work with those girls. Um, and that, boy, I hadn't thought about that. And uh, Billy LaRue, who was, her daughter was one of them. Um, and, and it was like, oh, okay. And so we just worked out. And, and then the next year it became, Let's go uh, with, uh, and, and the other gentleman, guy, a terrific guy named Stu Dunlop, who owns uh, restaurants and inns and things down in North Conway, New Hampshire. His daughter was terrific. So they kept you know, kind of forcing me and uh, I did it. So we had one girls team. Well, two years ago, I had 31 teams. So it's, it's, 
it's kind of, it's grown. It's not as big now. COVID's impacted that some. But the, the point is that I've had, and, and you know, one of the nice things, two of the last three Mr. Basketballs in the state of Maine have, have played in my program. And so I've got some good kids and, and it's a lot of fun. I, again, I, I love being in the gym and I love kids and basketball. So great stuff. Now, now we'll switch gears into your other passion. And you mentioned it several times already here on our podcast, um, writing, uh, and you, you've written several novels, uh, talk about that. Not probably not everyone knows that you're a novelist and you've, you've had success in, in that realm. And if, if I'm not, uh, mistaken, you have a new novel coming out relatively soon. Yeah, I've, al- I've, I've always loved the genre of murder mysteries. So, and as I, as I sit here, I have a thousand murder mystery books in my TV room. Um, so we will, every night I watch a murder mystery and, and, uh, and, and then go to bed and read a murder mystery. So I, a few years ago, I said, you know, I can write that. And so I wrote, my first was Blood Code. Uh, and then uh, about a, a state, main state police detective and and then uh, followed that up with a blood sport, which uh, again, had, had some fun with that. Um, I, but then in, in my teaching, um, I said, okay, now I've got to change a little bit because I wrote those in third person about, about Maine, et cetera. So I said, I want to write one in first person about something totally different. And it, but you know, it's funny because it goes back to my taking the, my St. Joe's team to New Orleans because I took our team to St. to uh, New Orleans and we went to breakfast at Brennan's, um, which was, a, you know, it's kind of world famous restaurant and very expensive. Um, but what fascinated me was the waiter didn't write anything down. So we had a 20 people in our party and he didn't write anything down. Uh, and I asked him, I said, you know, how long, I mean, how do you do that? And he said, well, I, I was a, you know, I've been a waiter for 30 years here, but I was a bus boy for 23 years before that. And in order to get to be a waiter, you, you better pay your dues. Huh. Um, so I said, boy, that's unbelievable. So I, long story short, I wanted to write about a boy, young man actually, who works as a waiter in New Orleans that has an eidetic memory. He's brilliantly, he is, confronted by a man who says, I, I, I don't think you realize this, but, and it's a, it's, it goes into all of what the government does with all of the uh, heinous experimentation that they've done on the, on the populace and on soldiers. And so everything that this young protagonist, Lonnie, thinks he knows is, is false. And he spends the, this book, of it, which is a thriller instead of a murder mystery, trying to determine whether or not who his parents are, why he was being chased by government agencies. And I've had a lot of fun and it's, it's, it's called gifted deception because he's gifted and his entire life has been a deception and it's just been completed, uh, just been professionally edited. uh, And now my decision is just how do I, how do I market it? Who, you know, What's the next step? Because that's writing a book is just the beginning. That's like going through layup lines. 
So how, how would you compare, you know, your, your two passions? Like what, how do they compare and contrast? I mean, that's very, uh, two very time consuming, uh, you know, I wouldn't say hobbies, but pastimes or, or uh, right. <laughs> occupations. Well, I just, I think there's great satisfaction and, and, you know, and I've, I've taught a lot of students in terms of creative writing, et cetera. And I tell them you write for yourself. If others like it good, but it's like playing a musical instrument or singing or any of those artistic endeavors. I mean, okay. If, if you really like to play your musical instrument, if other people think you're good, fine, but if not, it doesn't matter. So I, I love to write, and that's why, going back to the media guides, while some people, you know, would have thought of that as an incredible job, I thought it was, no, that was, that was pleasurable. Um, and I know, in it, and because other people, in this case, players, et cetera, liked it, that, you know, you get some form of, of remuneration that way. So... I, I, as I say, uh, I hope to do a lot more writing. I've written three children's books. I've, I've written, and, and you know, it, it's, I, I've written 80 or 90 poems and eight, 70 or 80 vignettes, which are at some point, I, and, and Rob keeps pushing me to write my St. Joe's and, and coaching, you know, uh, autobiography. Uh, I, I, for whatever reason, I've kind of held off on that a little bit. I've got it, I've started and probably got, oh, four or five thousand words done but this most recent novel is a little over a hundred thousand words oh wow so well maybe this podcast will kickstart you into uh you know getting back into that i think i could see a tv series you know the whole thing based on a book about the about your time at saint joe's <laughs> well thank you i i i enjoy you know obviously you know what it is and, and there's a lot of stories and the more you bring something up i think of another story and another story and that's the, the writer, I told you the writer that uh, called John Jennings, his name was Steve Soloway. Steve wrote for years for the Portland Press Herald. And he, uh, he's always said to me, Rick, you need to be writing these things down because you have so many of these things. Uh, and, and, you know, I've even spoken with Steve. I'd like to at some point do something with you. Let's write about the, one of the stories I would have loved to have written is all of the little gyms in Maine. Because in most towns, there was a small gym that we've all played in and they, they were horrible, but, but that's what we had 50 years ago. And you know how that is. And, and uh, a lot of them have closed. And, but, and he said, oh, you're absolutely right. That's, you know, that, there's a lot of history there. And, and you know how high school basketball in Maine is, is loved. Um, while it may not be as talented as a lot of states, it certainly is well uh, appreciated. Yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia there. That that's that might be a really good topic to touch on in a, in a book. Uh, you know, I, I think about high school gyms that I played in, and you know the, the smells come back to you, and you know yep. everything else. Just yeah, totally, just kind of a different thing. All, all courts have the same dimensions, but very different, uh, you know, atmospheres. And I know some of your writing has, has featured uh, some of the locations on our campus. Is that right? Well, I'm not sure which one you're referring to now. Oh, you mean it with, with one of my novels? Yes, yes. Yes, yes, I, I managed to do that. And I, I try to do that. Obviously, you want to write about something that you know. Um, but I think it also makes it a little more real for people. Um, 
And, you know, it was kind of fascinating because I guess for another story, I, 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 I went to Shaw's because I've always shopped at Shaw's. And I asked the gentleman who was the manager there if I could sell my books in Shaw's or if I could have a book signing. And he said, I'm not sure because we got to go through corporate. But he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Call me back in a day and I will call down to Marlboro, Mass and find out for you. So I called back the next day and he said, not only can you sell books here in the store, but every Shaw's store in that we own will take your books. Wow. And so you can sell them. So I sold a thousand books before I'd done anything. And I said, wow, that's unbelievable. Because I don't know if you realize this, but books, the average number of books that is sold by someone self-publishing is 80. And if you, they consider it a success if you sell 400. Now, I was very fortunate to um, have had much more success than that. But here's, the, here's where this interesting, the reason I was able to do that is because they had a, a uh, contest or a promotion, I should say, at Shaw's. And for every $50 that you spent, you got 10 cents off a of gas, your next gas purchase. Well, my, my went into shop one day and it came to $249. And I said, okay, I'm going to take a pack of gum to make a 250 to kick me up the next increment. And they said, oh, no, you can't do that. I said, well, I haven't paid you. What do you mean I can't do it? And no, 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 that's another. So you get a two forty nine and a dollar. And so I, she said, you can fill out this card. So I filled out the card very politely, very professionally. And he called me the next day and said, what can I do to make it right? I said, no, no, nothing. By the fact that you took your time to call, I appreciate that. But that's when I asked if I could sell my book. Let's fast forward. Uh, about three or four months later, I went in and I didn't see the manager. And I asked, and he, they said, oh, no, he's in a horrible uh, uh, automobile accident on a motorcycle. He's in a coma. So he was in a coma for a couple of months, and they didn't know if he was going to live. I was writing this. The, so I, when I earlier had spoken to him, I said, what can I do? Because you've obviously made me some money, and you've done a lot. What can I do to help you? He said, how about you name me a character in your next book? And I said, done. So I made in the second book, which was Blood Sport, I made him a character, a, a detective. And after I heard about his accident, I went back into the manuscript and I had him get shot and fight for his life and courageously battle to be able to. I sent the manuscript to his wife and she read it to him after he came out of the coma. And she said, Rick, you have no idea what you've done for this man because he's got tears coming to his eyes as he's listening about this detective fighting to, to courageously, you know, to, to live. Uh, and, and, but it, it just, is that, it doesn't that show you, and today he's fine, he moved, he's living down in, uh, in Maryland, but I mean, it's, it's calmer, it's just, you know, yeah. he helped me and I was able in a small way to make him a little happier. Well, that's really cool how, yeah, it's kind of like a pay it forward kind of thing and, and, you know, doing nice things for others, you know, you know, it doesn't happen as much as it used to. I don't think, you know, just a selfless, selfless way of, of, of living. So that, that brings us to our final bullet point. And this is the big question here, coach Simons, 
um, you know, 500 plus wins, all these championships, never a losing season here at St. Joe's, all the Hall of Famers, all the Hall of Fame, Halls of Fame that you're in, um, your family, you know, your, your post-coaching career, AAU, and of course, uh, you know, the other chapter, no pun intended, of, of writing uh, and being a novelist and very successful. Uh, what is your legacy now this this isn't a question we ask everybody because you know everybody has a lot left to, to to write in their life but i think you're at a point where you've done so much uh, i think that we can ask that question honestly and and uh, hopefully you have a really really good answer for that <laughs> well i don't know about that uh, yeah and, I, and you know it's interesting you 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 kind of introduced it by really politely saying you're at the end, so therefore we can talk about it rather than ha, everybody else has got a lot left in the tank. And, yeah, I, I, I was really hoping you were going to take it that way. Um, <laughs> certainly, certainly not what I mean. Um. <laughs> no, no, but I, you know, it's okay. Uh, um, you know, boy, um, I think anytime you coach, the legacy is the players that come, that play for you, and they come after you. Because, you know, many, many of those players are my best friends. Um, I, I, I mean, if I looked on my phone and go down through, there are dozens of people that they're, they're not just my former players. No, no, no. You know, I talk to them all the time. They reach out. It, it, it's, you know, that's the, the greatest, I think, thing. You know, the wins take care of themselves. As I always said to players, winning is a byproduct of doing things the right way. That's all. You know, if, if, and if you stay with it, you're going you're gonna to accumulate wins. But it's people. You're, you're, not, you know, you're, you're not coaching basketball. You're coaching young men and, and, and occasionally young women. But, and that's where I think that the greatest legacy anybody could have, not Rick Simons, anybody, is the people that you were able to spend time with and that you, you mentioned Mike having, you know, now I, I can, I, I went with to Dick Bailey's house, Mike and I did and our families dozens of years in a row to watch the Super Bowl. That's what we always watched. And his kids and mine, Stevie, were, we, they were little kids. And now his sons are accomplished players and, and, and Stevie's doing great. I mean, as a, as a nurse and, on the operating floor. I mean, but that's, you know, to look at his kids and, and say, wow, I remember when they were goofy little kids pulling each other's hair and now look at them. And so I think that's the legacy that any coach does and should, you know, ascribe to. Um, I don't think it could be better stated than that coach. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I always love hearing the stories and I know we're going to hear plenty more as more of your guys go into the hall of fame in future years, but we always look forward to that. Hopefully we'll be back to normal this fall. Well, thank you. You do a terrific job there. And the fact that you wanted to include me is, uh, is greatly appreciated. Well, coach, uh, you know, good luck with your, with the release of your new book. I'll be, I'll be looking out for that for sure. I, I definitely want to see, I want to, I want to read some of your novels and, and, and uh, get into that. So um, good luck with that. 
hopefully we're we're out doing normal stuff again real soon and uh maybe we'll see you at some games sounds terrific thank you thanks a lot rick Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, We've really enjoyed doing this podcast with Coach Simons. We hope you'll tune in next time as we plan to do a series of podcasts over the summer. Thanks again. Go Monks.